Good evening and welcome to our service this evening. If you're visiting with us, we extend a special welcome to you as we've gathered together in worship. The Lord calls us to worship with the words of Colossians 3. I'd ask you to stand as we hear that word read this evening. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In him we find our strength. Congregation, in whom is your help? The Lord is the one who strengthens. The Lord is the one who sustains. And he greets you this evening. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. From the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Number 291 is a song that we sing as we turn in our hymnals to Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Let's sing those seven stanzas of number 291.
Our reading from the Psalms tonight comes from Psalm 27. I invite you to turn there if you'd like to follow along, page 460. The Bible's in front of you. There the psalmist expresses his confidence in the Lord. He declares that the Lord is his light and his salvation, the stronghold of his life. And he also offers up his soul's desire to be gathered in God's house. There's something about being gathered together in God's house to hear the word sung, to uh, hear confession, common confession with the people of God uh, when it is so often just the opposite in the culture, uh, in the world, as we uh, hear God's name profaned during the week or we hear uh, uh, comments made concerning our God that are are hurtful and, and grievous. Here we come to lift up his name, to glory in his name. And the prayer is that the Lord would hear his, uh, he asks the Lord to hear his prayer and to uh, strengthen him, to teach uh, his way, to give him the truth. And then he has the confidence at the end, once again, that the Lord will be good to him and will provide for him, though he must wait, though he must wait upon the Lord for that blessing. Let us hear then this reading as we think upon those things. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock." And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Indeed, that is where we turn and where we look. The Lord who promises and who is faithful as we see throughout the Old Testament, God's answer to the needs of his people. The New Testament, the fulfillment that is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who has been provided, who is our light, our salvation, and our surety of protection. Let's Turn in our hymnals to number 27B, number 27B, and we're going to sing the first six stanzas of Jehovah is My Light.
turn to the Lord now in time of congregational prayer. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as You have called us to seek You, to seek Your face, that is our desire even tonight. We come to seek Your face and to ask You to bring to mind all that Your Word teaches us in this, uh, this psalm, all that we can learn in this psalm, that You are one who is light. Indeed, in, in You there is no darkness you there is light, uh, the light that shines in the darkness, that removes all of our fears. A light that guides our path, that points us in the way to go. When fears surround, when uh, there are those who would seek to uh, attack and intimidate, when we are troubled by our own uh, heart's uh, message to us, we pray, Lord, that you would point us again to the Lord Jesus Christ, the light who is coming into the world the one who has come into the world and shown us that path of righteousness, that path of salvation. O oh Lord, show us that you are the one who provides salvation that we do not need to be afraid, that you are a protection for us. We have come again tonight to gather into your, into your house to lift up your name in praise. That is uh, we pray an increasing desire in our hearts to be gathered together to look forward to the day when we will gaze upon your beauty forever. Even now as we catch a glimpse of that uh, in your word and in worship as we sing songs and offer prayers, strengthen our faith through that, we pray. Lord, help us to realize that in you we have a shelter, that you will lift us up upon a rock to the one who is higher than we are, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Refresh us, Lord, through the work of your Spirit. Hear us when we cry to you. Be gracious to us and, to answer, and answer us. Lord, be near to us when we find that even those around us whom we thought were friends to us, when they hear that we are serving the Lord, turn from us or taunt us or ignore us completely. Lord, when we are, when friendship is kept from us or when when people withhold themselves from us, we are hurt, but we know that in you we will find a, a solace and a refuge for you are the one who has provided sacrifice that we might be fully accepted, that we are your beloved, the ones that you've called to yourself, that we might call out to you as Father, the one who gives all things you do not withhold from us. When we lack wisdom, we have to but ask, and you give generously. When we lack comfort, you grant that comfort through your Spirit and through our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, we wait each new day upon you to teach us, to lead us on a level path. When all seems so out of kilter and and imbalance around us. We pray for that steady ground upon which to stand. Give us hearts that wait upon you and to look for the goodness that only you can bring. Lord, we pray that you would continue to encourage all of your saints who bring the word. We pray for the ministers of the United Reformed Churches as they bring the gospel. We pray for those who are in mission settings, we think of Reverend Brian Zegers at Word of Life Ministry in Ajax, Ontario. Lord, be 
near to him and to that church, we pray for a, a renewed attendance uh, um, at their monthly discussion uh, evenings. We pray for interactions yet to continue between uh, them and those around them who do not believe in, uh, in you and who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would grant perseverance to them as they read the scriptures with some who have perhaps read the, are reading them for the first time. Open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, to the glory of the forgiveness of sins through Christ, full and complete. Lord, we pray that the new video series that they show, too, on the Trinity would be used to show Christians and Muslims and others the truth of who God is and how, of who you are and how you've revealed yourself uh, in your word. May that lead to uh, richer understanding and richer confidence and peace in the lives of those who are troubled by what they see. We thank you, Father, for all the resources that we have. We thank you for your word, and we ask for your blessing upon it tonight as it is preached. Help us to listen attentively and to consider how you speak to our very hearts, uh, comfort, but also a call uh, to live for you, to show your goodness to those around us. Hear us as we ask for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us turn in our hymnals once again, this time to 100B. 100B. All people that on earth do dwell. We'll stand to sing the four stanzas of 100B.
invite you to turn in God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 5 this evening as we consider the Word of God's teaching from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and also Lord's Day 42, page 892 in the back of your hymnals, looking at the Eighth Commandment. We'll also be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, a bit later in the service. Under the third section of the Catechism, looking at the treatment on the Ten Commandments, What does it mean then for us to live out these commandments as it pertains to love of neighbor? Deuteronomy 5.19 says, and you shall not steal. Question and answer 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? The answer, he forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. Question and answer 111, what does God require of you in this commandment? that I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. We lived in the east, I guess you could say, before coming here in New Jersey, and we spent some time enjoying some of the beauty of New England. One of the things that we enjoyed was the Norman Rockwell Museum up in uh, New England. And when I think of this commandment, I think of some of the pictures that uh, were painted of everyday life. I thought the picture I had in mind was a Norman Rockwell, but I was stealing from another uh, artist, apparently, and crediting uh, him with uh, being Norman Rockwell. But there is one painting that, or one picture that uh, I think of in particular. I didn't get it in the bulletin because the secretary left too early this week. But you can look at it after. But it's, it's on the, evening of the, uh, the front page of the Saturday Evening Post. And it has a butcher. Uh, there's a scale in the, in the middle. And the, the butcher has his hand on the scale, pressing it so that it weighs uh, he- more and the woman who's buying the meat has her finger under the scale, and she's pushing up from underneath uh, so that the butcher can possibly get more money, and the woman is hoping that she can pay less. And we look at that, and we think, yeah, that's really how we act, don't we? We want to get more for less. And the Bible warns against such living, and certainly, as Christians, we ought to be those who are honest those who are uh, uh, aware that God provides all that we need and that we need not uh, worry, nor that we should uh, make things of this world uh, that which is our greatest desire. These individuals here are stealing from each other. Oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, the painter is not Norman Rockwell, it's Leslie Thrasher. 
though his picture is at the Norman Rockwell Museum. I've seen it. When we think about this uh, commandment, as we look at it, we want to see what it forbids, but we also want to see that the Bible is not against owning things. It's, it doesn't, uh, it forbids stealing, but it's not against owning things. It also teaches about how we acquire things and how we possess them. We'll start by recognizing that the Bible teaches the reality of private property. The Bible is not a, a collectivist textbook, a socialist textbook, pressing equal ownership of everything by all. It speaks of reparations having to be made if someone steals another person's animal, if someone uh, kills another person's animal and uh, is not, uh, the owner is not able to get the money from it, then there needs to be reparation. If there is a crop that's lost because of another person's animal grazing in that field, there needs to be uh, reparation given there. The Bible says that we should not covet anything that belongs to our neighbor, teaching private ownership, that which belongs to them. The Bible says that we're not to be moving property lines, claiming property that is not our own, taking it from another. We may not trespass on the property of another. Again, speaking of that ownership. Inheritances were passed on from generation to generation, indicating ownership in the Bible's recognition of that. The Bible teaches that the believers in the early church bought and sold property, that which they owned. They gave as there was need, but they sold it in order to do so. They had possessions. We need to remember this because today many think that we could just solve all of our problems if we just took everybody's private property and put it in a, in a common pot and, and everybody shared it equally. And that idea is of Karl Marx teaching that a peaceful society, a prosperous society, could really be established only if all possessions were held equally. Communism proved that that was not true. More oppression and inequality has occurred in the name of communism than any other economic system. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have problems with other economic systems. I'm not saying that the, the capitalist free market economy is, is without uh, issues. There's, a, there's the issue of greed. There's the issue of, uh, of mishandling what we have. But communism uh, is, uh, did not prove to be the answer. Just talk to any of those who lived under the rule of Lenin and Stalin and even under present-day Putin. It's not a utopia. The Lord calls people, then, how do we acquire possessions? The Lord calls us to work so that we might possess something and be able to live independently and also to give to those who have need. The Lord declares sloth to be sinful and warns against dependence and on handouts. We are to live independently unless there is some reason that we cannot work. The Bible is not so naive, however, as to think that we cannot sinfully possess things. We can do so in a, in a greedy way, in a hoarding fashion. Teaches that we must not be hoarders, that we must not be greedy. An illustration of greed, I think, when, when I was growing up and in, in studying history, I was always uh, shocked by the robber barons and the, and the wealthy and the Gilded Age of, of the United States. Norman, or excuse me, uh, uh, John D. Rockefeller was once asked, How much money is enough? And he said, Just a little bit more. 
just a little bit more. And that, that, that is a picture of someone who really thinks that possessions are going to satisfy and that therefore the individual. God, however, doesn't warn against having money. He warns against the love of money, the love of things, the love of the world, as I said this morning, is not of the Lord. It is uh, of the flesh. Let me read that just for a moment. First, uh, First John 2. And verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How we acquire and how we hold possessions, how we use them is important. Love of money, worship of money, drives many of the schemes that are forbidden by this commandment. As we can see them there in answer 110 of the catechism. And Jesus warned that it was hard for a rich person to enter into heaven for it can quickly become a god. Riches can become something we worship. It can become master to us and lead us astray. It has led many astray and led them from the faith, piercing them with many pangs, we read, as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6. Achan took from Jericho, early on in Israel's history, that which was to be devoted to God. He fell in love with earthly riches, finding them more captivating than loving God. Judas betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Betrayal. Paul lost a co-worker who treasured the world more than the things of God. The writer of the Hebrews warns his readers to keep their lives free from the love of money. In Ecclesiastes, we read about a lot about how the love of money never satisfies. It compromises integrity. It produces worry. It ruins relationships. It provides no lasting security and does not accomplish anything good for us in eternity. The Lord says in Proverbs 23, 5, cast but a glance at riches where they are quickly gone. So be careful how you manage that which God has entrusted to you. Be careful, the Bible says. Well, what does this commandment forbid? This commandment forbids outright theft and robbery of that which does not belong to us. The government is actually given authority to prosecute thieves, to punish those who take unlawfully from others that which does not belong to them. That's the most, that's the most basic prohibition of this commandment. But there's more that's forbidden. Unjust scales, abuse of power to take unlawfully, wrong view of equality, That is the equality of outcome for all. God is a God of justice and he wants us to act justly. He punishes the evildoer. The commandment we read uh, forbids all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. We can think of this picture that I mentioned as a way of looking at this commandment. There we have these two individuals pressing to take, uh, pressing in a way, in an, in an unjust way or a, or a deceptive way, trying to get Take something from another. 
God hates deceit. He says that. There are many strong statements about deceit, about trying to deceive. And one of them, is the strongest, is in Proverbs 11. It says, they're a false balance. We don't think much of, of, of these, this matter of stealing, but it says you're a false balance. is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. God is angry when there is injustice, when there is stealing, when there is uh, deception happening. We should uphold an equitable system, a system that provides equality of opportunity. That doesn't mean there will always be equality of outcome. Diversity of persons and Diversity of location make this improbable, even unlikely. But dishonesty in a system and in the administration of the system is sin against this commandment. Israel, God's people, they were to be an example of the other, to the other nations of integrity, the way that they lived their lives, in the way that they conducted business. Israel was to be a just and generous society. It's the, why the Prophets of God spoke so clearly against deception in Israel, for it misrepresented God and harmed others. Much of what is said in the minor prophets has to do with deceit in the economic realm. Hosea says, the Lord sees the merchant in whose hands are false balances. He sees that they love to oppress. Through Micah, we read that the Lord saw the faulty measures that were being used uh, there in Israel. The bag of deceitful weights and measures. And Micah said, the Lord will punish the deceiver. Amos declared that Israel was filled with robbers, conducting unjust business with deceit. It's an abomination to the Lord. What do we make of that today? What are we to make of, of our culture today? We see acts of theft in our country. Government creates unlawful taxes to take money to pay for that which it deems as essential to infrastructure, for example, but which is supporting destructive practices. The government is outside of its bounds, outside of its place of authority when it abuses its economic arm to support a moral revolution. Government prints money to attempt to avoid recession, all the while devaluing the money of those who are saving, who are trying to be frugal, to be careful, to pay bills, to set aside for the future. They're stealing value. And we can speak out against this. We don't revolt. We speak, however, to warn about such practices, for they are unjust, and God is angry with them. When a government Cancels college loans, pushes the economy toward recession. Now, there may be a place for discussion about what loans can be canceled. Perhaps there are instances where that is true. But a across-the-board approach is a very careless approach, which does not create a system or a society where people will give They can become impoverished. Theft is happening around us today, not just by government, but also by corporations in avoiding taxes which they owe. 
And theft is not only of money, but also of ideas. Plagiarism is theft. It's tempting in a busy week to say, well, I want the people of Community URC to have a good sermon. Maybe I'll use someone else's. (laughs) It's busy. You get busy and you say, well, this won't hurt if I just use this one and don't give credit. It's tempting. It's tempting because we want to, we want to appear better than we are. We, we don't want people to see what is really going on in our hearts. So much of our thoughts about stealing arise out of a desire to impress or maybe to get a good grade. We're taking other people's work when we're writing a paper for school. We want others to be impressed. We want others to praise our ideas or our teaching. We want others to be impressed with how much money we have, how many things we have. We will even steal to get this acceptance. But we must not forget that God hates that. That is an abomination to him. It's not just in economic matters regarding the government, not just in thoughts in the private realm. It's also in what we withhold from each other. The catechism doesn't develop that. It really, it really falls more in, an, in, in line of an economic way of, of speaking. But we must recognize that when we withhold from others what they deserve, we're stealing from them. We're withholding from them a word of encouragement, a word that would be, as we heard this morning, refreshing, that would be comforting. We want to be those who are not miserly in the way that we use God's word. Therefore, we need to understand God's word. We need to know God's word so that we might share it and be encouraging. We must not forget that nothing that we have has not been given to us. It's not ours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the psalmist says. God gives us what we have. He entrusts it to us because he wants us to use it for his glory and for the good of others. When we use our possessions for personal glory, we're stealing from God. We aren't to make much of ourselves, but we are to be generous. We represent God. He is generous, and we are to give generously. When we hoard our wealth, holding back from God and the needs around us, we're stealing from him. The prophet Malachi warned the Israelites from God that they were stealing. And they said, how are we robbing from God? He said, when you withhold your tithes. When you withhold your tithes from me, you're stealing. Not giving, trusting that I will provide all that you need. Well, the Bible talks about the ownership of things. But it does not say that we, what we possess is ours and ours alone. What does the Bible require? Well, we're not to be consumed by our possessions. The opposite of, then, of the love of money is, if it can be put very succinctly, the opposite of love of money is generosity, of giving. Not just of our money, but also of our lives. Question answer 111, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good. Whatever I can, whatever I may. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. That I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Thinking of the other, even in times of need. I was thinking about passages in scripture that would illustrate that. You remember the widow in in Zarephath when Elijah comes to her and he says, bake me some bread. And she says, I don't have, I've got just a bit of oil. We're going to make one more loaf of bread and then we're going to die. And Elijah says, no, trust the Lord. 
give and the Lord will provide and miraculously the Lord continued to provide, but she in faith obeyed, showing confidence in God's promise. Paul commended the believers of Macedonia for giving out of their poverty because in that they recognized that God would give all that they needed, though they did not have much. The Bible teaches that God will give us what we need as we ask and that we ought to give generously. Paul said this, or wrote this to the Corinthians, Do not forget that God can make all grace abound, that having all that you need, you might abound in every good work. So much is, so much of our worry and of our anxiety surrounds finances today, because it's all we talk about, it seems, in our culture, all that we hear about. What's going to happen to our future if we continue to do this or carry out this policy or that policy? And we need to be careful that we don't put so much confidence in money that when we see things turning toward recession that we begin to fear and doubt that we have a future. For God is in control. God provides. And he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Show kindness. Show generosity. God frees us from selfishness, from fear, unto generosity. The members of the early church sold of their possessions so that no one had need. That's what new life looks like. We possess our possessions. They don't possess us. I was thinking of another painting that I saw at the, or, or a picture that I saw at the Norman Rockwell Museum. This one is Norman Rockwell. And on it, there are all different peoples, all different ethnicities. And on the painting it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There he captured what he thought was so needful in a culture that was so diverse in background, in experiences, reminding through this painting that we were to be those who would do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We witness in that way. We show our confidence in God. We show the God who is, that one who is generous and will give without finding fault to those who ask Him, to those who submit themselves to Him. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says this. The verses 8 and 9. He says, Those who sow to their own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We are those who are filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, that we might live by the Spirit, giving. Instead of hoarding our money, we hand it over to those who have need. Instead of building bigger barns, we cultivate bigger hearts. Instead of looking to take, we seek to give. Perhaps the Bible's clearest example of the changed life in the area of finances was Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, where when the Lord came to him, when the Lord Jesus came to him, said, I want to meet with you. Zacchaeus was so struck by the master coming to his house, taking time to dine with him, to fellowship with him, recognizing what that meant, that he said, Lord, all that I have 
of all that I have taken, I will pay back fourfold. I will give where I have seen such generosity in your coming near to me. How true then, isn't it, dear people of God, that we think of God coming near to us in Christ Jesus, forgiving us all of our sins, that great debt which we could never repay, that we of all should be most generous. Those who are not seeking to take from others, but to tell others what the Lord has given, what the Lord promises to provide in daily bread, in new life, in forgiveness, in redemption, in provision of the Holy Spirit, in grace sufficient through all our trials. Nothing that is too great that God provides a way out. Truly, our God is a generous God, one who has given to us mightily, richly, abundantly. We, as gospel people, then, are those who want to give, for we recognize that we have received. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about life, it is often wrapped up in how much we own, how much we have. Will it make it to the end? Will we have enough? We begin to count numbers and go through our portfolios and we can very quickly become worried. Lord, help us to have a right perspective on ownership and how we prepare and plan for the future. We would not think that the amount of money that we have is the measure of security that we have, for we know that we can have all kinds of resources. Indeed, we do in this day and age and still be insecure. But as we trust in you to grant all that we need, Lord, help us to be generous, to give in faith, confident that you will show us over and over again your generous nature, reminding us in the gospel that the debt that we could not pay, you have provided for in your son. In him, we have every security and every certainty of life and of being held forever. May that lead us to look at life differently, to address the challenges around us differently, to point people to you daily. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Number 488 is a song that we now sing. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. May they forget the channels seeking only him. They say, see us. May they recognize that our confidence is in him and leads us in our daily decisions and living. Let's stand to sing the six stanzas, number 488.
us offer up a prayer with an evening offering. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you for the instruction that you give from your word. Teach us, Lord, your way that we might walk on level paths as we have heard the psalmist pray. That is our prayer. Lord, we thank you that schools have started up again. And as we think of the covenant instruction given at Crown Point Christian, we ask, Lord, that you would bless the teachers there. That they would think upon your work in their lives and want to share that even as they share the teaching, uh, the subject matter that is before them. Lord, as we give for that work, we do so accompanied by our prayers. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. stand together to confess our faith. We use the words of the Apostles' Creed, the version that we use is on page 851, if you're visiting with us this evening, that creed which speaks of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is an answer to the question, Christian, what is it that you believe? We say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. People of God, as the Lord goes with you, remember that he is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him is all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
Go forth with this parting blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.